Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? If you have, the best answer for doing one is Anchor. Anchor is your one-stop shop for recording, posting, and distributing your podcast. Anchor is available to download for your Apple or Android devices, or you can go to anchor.fm. Best of all, it's 100% free and so easy to use. So what are you waiting for? If you want to start your own podcast, download the Anchor app now or go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R. Anchor, the best way to make your podcast. is the Mofobo Network Podcast, bringing you the most up-to-date news in the wide world of sports. Now, here's your host, Neil Villapiano. What is going on, guys? My name is Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Mofobo Network podcast here on Anchor FM or on Spotify, whichever you choose to listen to. As always, thank you so much for spending some time out of your day to take a listen. It means a lot to me. And we always have a ton to talk about in the world of sports. We talked to Charlie Shermer a couple days ago about, you know, what's going on in the world of hockey, particularly with the NHL. And we're going to continue to talk about that as I have another special guest. And this one, th- this is uh, much more personal for me. Um, a story for, for those of you that don't know. Uh, when I was younger, uh, I started kind of late, around age 13 or 14. I started, I wanted to uh, play hockey. And not only did I want to play hockey, I wanted to be a goalie. And uh, it took me quite some time to uh, learn the position and learn how to play it relatively well. And uh, the man that we have on here today is a big reason that I was able to learn how to play the sport learn how to play the position, and learn how to do well in the sport. And that is the president and general manager of the Philadelphia Revolution. And he's going into his 12th year with the organization. And he is what I call a goalie guru. And that is Mr. Chris Canale. Chris, it has been quite some time since we last spoke. But uh, how you doing, my friend? Great to be here, Neil. Uh, great introduction. Good energy. Uh, thanks for having me on the program today. Yeah, of course. It's, it's great to have you on. And, uh, you know, the, the hockey world has all of a sudden become the focal point of sports talk here in America the last, I would say, 24 to 48 hours since the NHL announced going into possibly starting its phase two. We have the NHL playoff format and things like that. So that kind of brings me to my first question for you. What are your initial thoughts of that format and where do you see it going over the next couple of months? Yeah, it's a great question. Obviously, we're all trying to figure this out and feel our way through it from the NHL level at the pro level right on down to junior hockey and then at youth hockey. And certainly the NHL has been very ambitious and, and certainly taken the, the lead of the major sports um, in, in their initiative to try and bring hockey back. So certainly, you know, not everyone's going to be happy. I'm sure the Devil fans, as you have Brodeur in the background yeah. there, uh, is it, you know that group of, of guys isn't going to be happy because they're one of the biggest seven teams that are on the outside looking in. Yeah. But certainly having 24 teams involved, I think, makes it really exciting. And um, I know the top four seeds have to play some kind of round robin to mm-hmm. decide those four seeds. And 
and then the other teams will have what they technically consider a play-in round. Right. You're not even considering them playoff teams. If you speak to NHL guys, they're saying <laughs> that's not really an NHL uh, all uh, playoff format. So until right. the until the final 16 or said the initial 16 are are grabbed, I think it'll be an exciting uh, situation for everybody, and some of the matchups look pretty good as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, there were only two teams that voted against the 2014 playoff, and it was announced it was Carolina and Tampa. Tampa was a little bit kind of a head-scratcher as to why exactly they were complaining, but I got it from what Rob Brindamore, the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, said that, what did we fight for at the end of the day? We fought to just have to fight even more just to get into the postseason. So I can understand people's frustration. And like you mentioned, obviously, with the New Jersey Devils, we are not part of it. And it's kind of ironic because Governor Murphy now is allowing sports teams to go back to, you know, participating. And it's like, well, it kind of doesn't matter in the Devils' sense. Um, other teams like San Jose, I mean, San Jose is tough because they don't even have their first-round pick. I mean, they, they gave it to Ottawa. So now, you know, the, the Sharks, they get like a double-edged sword. Not only do they don't make the playoffs, but they can't even look forward to the NHL draft lottery because they don't even have their pick. So yeah. it's going to be – it's going to be frustrating. And then you have, like, guys like Jack Eichel, who just yesterday went off and was just like, I'm so tired of the losing, you know, and he's at Buffalo, and it's been five years now, and he's like, we did not fight to get into a 2014 playoff. We fought to get into a 16-team playoff, and even in the 24, we finished just, a, I think, a point out of being the last team. So there's a lot of frustration, and I know that um, – Vice Commissioner uh, Bill Daly said that he is very sensitive to the teams that are not in it. And it sounds like that they're trying to work out something that can keep the players on those teams involved because there's a good chance we might not see hockey for the next season until probably December, maybe even January. Um, you know, in, in, your, in your opinion, what would be something that those seven teams could do other than obviously look forward to the lottery? What could you see them or what the NHL could do to, to kind of, um, you know, keep these guys active while we wait for the next season. Yeah, I think they're just appeasing their fans right now. I think uh, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, if anything, a lot of the governors, as you know, the, the, the two votes there were, were to, to vote against it. And, and I think sometimes, you, you know, you read the room. I've been in some of those meetings as a governor of a junior team. And if you know the, the bill is going to pass or the vote is going to pass, sometimes you make a point by just saying, hey, I'm voting against that. I think that's where Tampa was, too. Mm -hmm. And Tampa was just saying, hey, like, you know, letting 24 teams in is probably not the way that the NHL should do this. Right. I, I think the NHL is also in a position where there are some teams, uh, notably in the East, that have some good fan bases that were struggling right before the, the pandemic hit and, mm -hmm. and were literally just outside right. looking in, and they didn't want to – eliminate those bigger market teams. So there's a lot at stake, as, as you know, I'm sure your listeners know that, you know, when it comes to NHL with money and the, the deals with uh, NBC Sports and the, the Olympics that, that, are, that are, you know, were supposed to happen and that yeah. TV deal. So there's a lot of things that are interconnected that go into it. But my personal opinion is the seven teams that are out should be out. So, so I apologize to the, the Buffaloes and the Devils and the um, – <laughs> you know, the Kings and the, the San Jose's of the world, but certainly, you know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some cutoff at some point. Not everybody gets a trophy. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It was going to be a tough decision regardless of what was made. Um, I give the NHL bonus points for the fact that they've gotten to this point, knowing that other leagues like the NBA and particularly the major league baseball are at times, it looks like they're not even close to getting 
any form of a deal done. And the fact that the NHL is making this now very big step, I think it's going to be beneficial. And if they're the first sport in America to come back, first professional sport, it's going to create a lot more hockey fans. I think a lot more people are going to watch the games. They're going to learn more about the sport and the players and the teams. And I think that it's, it's going to be beneficial at the end of the day. I'm just curious to know what is going to be the protocol for you know, health and safety, because let's face it, that's going to be a big topic of discussion as to how these players are going to be protected during this time. And we still don't even know what the hub cities are. So we have a long way to go, but obviously with this format, that kind of brings us to um, the next step and hopefully it, it continues to be positive. My, my next question to you is this. Obviously, you're the general manager of the Philadelphia Revolution, which is a junior hockey team. How has the coronavirus affected the lower levels of hockey? We obviously know about the NHL, but I would like to know, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know, how has it impacted the smaller, you know, leagues, you know, the younger players and things like that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, certainly, uh, you know, we were about to make a playoff run and we had a buy and we thought it would have been a deep playoff run um, in, in March. And we got notification, um, you know, that morning emergency governor meeting. And, and of course, it was just cut like everything else. Um, so it was obviously devastating to those guys that are, you know, committed to the NCAA and trying to finish out their, their junior seasons. And now the after effects of that, getting over the fact that USA Hockey canceled the national championships, which were in April and so forth and so on. And tryouts have been canceled. And you know, at USA Hockey now, in this district, in the Atlantic District, we're going to all be able to select players starting on June 1, which is this Monday. Mm -hmm. So there'll be no tryouts. It's just all advanced scouting and, and, and offering contracts to players at the Tier 1 level. Right. And then the Tier 2 teams will pick two weeks after. So it's all been very new and all, you know, a very uh, ever-changing, uh, fluid situation, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's affected everyone right on down, right? It's a trickle-down effect and certainly – um, junior hockey, and then of course the youth uh, engine in this, this country is is huge now with 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 USA Hockey and and the and and the amount of uh, athletes that are participating at the youth level. So I think you're going to see you know the slow return. I think in a couple of weeks you'll see ranks reopening in this area of the country. I think you'll see groups of ten or less. I think you'll mm -hmm. see masks on kids and and coaches in the building until they get on the ice. Right. I think you'll see no locker rooms. I think you'll see kids getting dressed at home, right. even older players, 15, 16, 17 year olds, until until you get numbers that are what I would call respectable, where you see, you know, numbers under two or three hundred a day in the state of New Jersey, which has nine million people, so that people feel a little more comfortable with where it's at. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, Neil, but certainly this is gonna be around for a while. And I think we're gonna all have to figure out a way to to, to work with it and uh, keep our players as safe as possible, but also give the kids um, and the people uh, that work in the industry an opportunity to, 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 you know, figure out their way through the pandemic. Yeah, no, th this has been something that has really changed, you know, sports as we know it. I think a lot of leagues and a lot, and all the sports are going to have to do things much differently. Um, and that it also includes hockey, like you mentioned. Um, you know, one one thing that really kind of, you know, sticks out in, in my mind is I look at, you know, players that are going to be going into, you know, like this NHL draft, you know, and like you mentioned, with, with, you know, you guys getting the opportunity to select players, there's no workouts, no tryouts. It's just the research that you guys have to do and then just make those decisions. What 
have you and your organization have uh, done to kind of, you know, still keep busy and also just try to get as much information as possible, even with the opportunity to not have um, these tryouts? Yeah, so, so we have been a club that's been independent for, for years and um, have always hand-selected our program through advanced scouting. So for us, it was really just another, you know, uh, another preseason, if you will. So we were really prepared. We have a scout list with uh, hundreds of players. It's broken down by birth year. Mm-hmm. So w- w- from the 2011s, which is your first year squirts, on through right. to your, your 2004s, which is your U16s, and then, of course, your junior players, which are 0-3 birth years and older. Um, you know, we have a, an advanced scouting list and, and regular meetings anyway. So basically, mm-hmm. as we are right now on Zoom, right. um, and, and Zoom stock has certainly uh, has, has benefited from all of us using it. We've been on a lot of Zoom calls right. and just going through our list. So sharing our lists, going through player evaluations, reviewing a lot of video of these players that have been accumulated over the seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, acquiring video of those players, right. uh, interviewing other coaches of those teams. So, so it's pretty much like you would do um, your normal scouting for a junior team, except we apply it to the youth level um, uh, from squirt on through to midget. My, my next question to you is this, and this kind of, again, this, this revolves around, you know, having to make changes because of the circumstances that we're in. Do you feel, and, it, and if so, you know, yes or no, why, do you feel that you'll have to make a lot of changes when it comes to how you coach the players, particularly with how this virus has gone? Or do you feel that it'll just be, you know, almost like business as usual once you're allowed to really play games again? No, I think there's, I think there's a culture that you're going to have to explain to the younger players and explain what, um, what we're trying to accomplish. Obviously, we want kids to be safe. We want the game to be as normal as possible. Right. Uh, we don't want to make sacrifices like, you know, uh, standing three feet apart at a, at, a, uh, at, a, at a face-off. But at the same time, like, obviously the handshake line doesn't need to happen, right, in the middle yeah. of a pandemic. So there, there's things that I, I've talked to my coaches about that I think are, um, are, are things you can make concessions on for safety. Mm-hmm. And there are other things that I think compromise the game itself that, you know, we're not willing to make concessions on. Right. And it's one of those, you know, you have free will in this country, and part of being an American is – being able to express that. I think nobody's forcing anybody to go back to a rink. No one's forcing any player to play on a team. Um, and certainly parents, I have three kids of my own, one that does play the sport at a high level. So, you know, absolutely, you know, you, you, you're, as, as a parent, with your parent hat on, you're aware that you don't want your kids getting sick or have to deal with that kind of virus. But at the same time, I think it's important to bring the players back and treat them um, like young adults that they are and explain to them what the, where they're at. They're seeing it every day. Their classes have been canceled. Nobody's talking about the kids and what the effect is on them. Everyone's looking like, well, they're all from school. They're on vacation, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. We don't even know what the long-term effects are of our kids being forced to, to stay home. It's one thing if you told a kid in eighth grade, hey, I'm going to stay home for the next two months, and they'd enjoy it and think that it was a fun thing. It's another right. thing to put these kids in these situations. So. So I, I have to uh, take your question one step further and, and really say, I think it's going to be incumbent upon the organizations to talk to their coaching staff and their children and their players about how um, we're going to come back and really teach them that, you know, again, we could do this the right way and enjoy it and, and be healthy. Um, but at the same time, be respectful of, 
you know, grandparents or, or people that are at risk that may come in contact. Who knows if parents are ever going to be allowed back in the building, which may not be a bad thing, but uh, <laughs> if they're going to be allowed back in the building. Right, so that's right. one of the inside jokes we have uh, at USA Hockey is that no parents will be watching on the closed circuit TV yeah. so the coaches can do their jobs. I know from personal experience with working with the Jersey Shore Whalers that we have had uh, plenty of encounters like that. So it's, um, it would be interesting to see what would happen with, with no parents and they would all have to watch. I think that would um, go a long way. You know, I, you know, the games that we cover are on hockey TV and, and a lot of teams use hockey TV. And I think that's going to be, especially going into this next hockey season, I think that's going to be used a lot more than what it was used before. So I think that that's something that will probably see be advanced. I have a couple more questions for you, Chris. Um, obviously, like I mentioned before, you are a, what I call a goalie guru. You helped me, um, you know, become, you know, a goalie. And again, I appreciate that as always. My question to you is this. There's one player in this draft that people always have been talking to me about. It's, it's uh, Ilyaslav Askarov, the goaltender from Russia, who's expected to be the number one goaltender going into this draft. Some people are saying, He's the best goaltending prospect um, we've seen in the last 10 years. And, and that's kind of hard to say because usually goalies don't go in the first round. They usually go in the next couple of rounds. I don't know if you've had a chance to see any of his performances or anything that he's done. In your opinion, what, what do you see in, in a goaltender like Askarov? Well, I think you got to kind of look at the wave of Russian goalies that have come into the league in the last decade, right? And um, – mm -hmm. Some really good, young, powerful goalies. Start with Bobrovsky, who actually signed with the Flyers, which a lot of people forget, um, and was and was sure. was with that organization before they gave up on him and took yeah. another Russian goalie named Brzgalov. Um, <laughs> and I think when you look at the younger goalies, the the Bobrovskys and on, mm -hmm. and then start looking at those young goalies, the birth years of some of the goalies. You have a Vasilevsky, a '94, and then going going further, Gagoriev. Uh, in um, the Rangers in the Rangers and now you have uh, the Flyers have uh, excuse me the Islanders have Sorokin who has been just tearing the cover off the ball in the KHL and hasn't even stepped foot in North America and he's going to be the, the the big goalie that they, they say is ready and then of course you got Askarov I think you got to look at the way they're trained and Varlamov already who's with the Islanders so you look at the way they they train and what they do um, and you know it's all about explosivity it's all about strength and flexibility combined. And obviously that's what the goaltender position is now. It's bigger, faster, stronger. Um, so when you, when you take that in its totality, if you will, and look at the prototype of the goalie now, it's, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go look and know how to read height yeah. and weight, but every goalie is, you know, built like me now. They're six mm -hmm. foot two, they're 170 pounds when they're 18 years old and then they get bigger as they get older, but they're all at least six, one, six, two, six, three, some six, four and bigger Ben Bishop, six, seven. And I think that's the prototype. So I think you're going to see, I think, I think you're going to see that continue. The Russians have really um, done a really good job of, of figuring out how to train their tenders. Mm -hmm. I had a goalie a few years ago, get drafted in the NHL, Caden Primo, who's uh, who's drafted by the Montreal Canadiens and he played in the NHL this year as a 20 year old mm. and played a couple of games and he's six foot four and 190 pounds and same thing very athletic very long strong and and uh, and obviously you know extremely good at stopping the puck so yeah I think you're gonna see a lot more of that come down the pipeline in the NHL and, and the Russians have done a really good job of developing their young talent 
They certainly have. And, and I have a follow-up question again about Askarov because a lot of people have been talking to me about most goaltenders, their glove hand is their left hand. You know, a lot, I would say the majority of them you see in the NHL and in hockey in general, they left hand. He actually, he has it on his right hand. And he's the first goaltender I've seen with the glove in his right hand since Jonas Hiller, who actually just retired, I believe, last week. He just announced his retirement. Do you feel that Askarov has an advantage because shooters have to almost kind of change the way that, you know, they look at the net because his glove is on his right side and not his left side? Yeah, so this is a question that's been asked to me quite a bit over the years. And I used to, I, I've only had maybe seven or eight over the past quarter century that I've trained that were what we call goofy-handed or opposite-handed. <laughs> um, and, and certainly it's a different approach, right? So you're a left-handed shot and you're coming in, you know that, you know, the, the long side is always the blocker side and, you know, the short side is the glove. And it's always adjusted based on what your handedness is. And certainly that does make a difference. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, one of the best, you know, Hall of Fame opposite hander guy named Grant Fuhr, who, you know, for, for you younger guys probably don't remember him, but us, us guys getting a little longer in the tooth, remember, he was probably the best opposite hand goalie of all time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it can matter early on. Mm -hmm. I think once guys get into the league and they figure it out and they understand what guys do, I don't know if it's so much of an advantage. But certainly in the beginning, um, playing against an opposite hander is a factor and, and learning how they play. But like I said to you, I mean, his, again, look at his height and weight. He's 6'3", he's 176 pounds, so he's a string bean. Yeah. And he's going to get bigger. He's only, I don't even think he's 18 years old yet. I think he's a, a mid-June. I believe he's 17 at the moment. Yeah, he's 17. He's going to be, he'll be 18 in June, I believe. And right. Listen, I mean, you know, these guys that are long and, 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 and athletic are tough to beat. And, uh, and they take up a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is more of a, um, a personal question for me because, as most people know, I am a Devils fan. Been a Devils fan, you know, my whole life. Uh, people can't see it, but I have a Martin Brodeur um, Zoom background. Uh, I actually went to this game, the outdoor game. Uh, great experience. Um, my question is this. The one goaltender that people have been talking to me a lot about the last couple weeks is Corey Schneider. And Corey has been dealing with Obviously, some injuries last couple of years, and it's been kind of a, a, a thing. But he was in an article on The Score recently talking about he's not ready to retire. He feels that he can still get back to the level of play. In your opinion, in your opinion, because obviously you, you know the position very well, what are some of the things that you think Corey Schneider needs to improve on? Or, you know, is there a certain drill that he needs to do? Or is it like watching more videotape? Because... From what I've been told, his injury, which I believe was a groin injury originally, it really kind of like prevented him from doing a lot of those, you know, T pushes and really getting over and being more athletic. But what do you think Corey Schneider needs to do in order to get back to the level that he was a couple years ago when people thought he was one of the best goaltenders in the league? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's a, it's a great question. It's a complex question, but... I'll simplify it for you. I think everything that's going on with Corey is between his ears. Mm. And, um, you know, you don't go from, you know, having those types of years and being a, a $40 million contracted goalie to all of a sudden, you know, not being able to, to stop 90% of the pucks at the American yeah. League level. Mm. Like he struggled even at the American League level. So I think, I think for Corey, it's not about mechanics or, or working on that kind of stuff. I think it's really about just getting back to basics. And sometimes – you know, I've been training goalies for a long time, as you know, and 
you know, sometimes it's just really about comfort and about, you know, enjoying it again and, yeah. and, and getting back to why you started when you were a little kid, uh, like yourself when you started and right. just the pure joy of stopping somebody and seeing the look on their face when they should have scored and they didn't. And right. I think that's something that we, we sometimes as goalie coaches get away from because mm -hmm. now the sport is so technical and so video centric and, yeah. and you got a eye coach and you got the eye hand coach and you got the skills coach and you got the footwork guy and you got the endurance guy, you got the nutritionist. Like a lot of times it's just really just plain old simple black and white. Like, Hey man, go out and have fun. You know, right. sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll be doing a lot of intense training. I'll say, okay, today we're just gonna have a good time. Let's go out and shoot some pox. Let's, mm -hmm. We don't need to get so, you know, technical with our approach and overthink this. And I think really that's what Corey needs. I mean, Corey just needs to find the love of the game again. I think, to me, he looks unhappy. Yeah. Like, in the interviews I've seen, and again, I'm not, I don't know Corey personally, but I know guys that do, and I know guys that play with him. And I, I just, I think that, I think that he's, you know, uh, he's, a, he's a happy guy, and he's always yeah. been a great personality in the locker room. Yeah. I just think he's not as happy as he, he's been, and certainly not playing well makes that. And then, you know, going through a very public demotion, you know, I don't care who you are, right. it's certainly difficult. So I think Corey Schneider is a guy that I would bet on personally. Yeah. And I think you'll see him come back. He may need to change the scenery too from the organization. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly he's a really good goalie that I think will, will uh, that has some years led, left on the tread there on, on those tires. Yeah, you know, ever since Corey Schneider got dealt to the Devils, you know, I, I became a fan of him, you know, instantaneously because I had seen him play in Vancouver and he did a very good job backing up Roberto Luongo. And then he came in and he was really good. And for a couple of years when the Devils were really struggling to score goals, he would play a lot of games where he'd only give up one or two goals and put the team in on a position. And a lot of fans that are younger who didn't get a chance to see Corey play at that point, they say to me, oh, he's awful. He's the worst goalie I've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, He's played many years where he's had to be like the big answer and, and the, the main reason that the team has won games. And, you know, I think you make a good point. From a lot of the interviews I've seen, it, it definitely, definitely looks like that Corey at times is pressing a little bit. I think he's very frustrated with himself and the situation that he's in. Um, one thing that kind of gave me a positive was that when he came back for the second time around this season from the AHL, he seemed to look like at times the Corey that I had seen before. He yeah. seemed like he was starting to find his game again. And even when he did an interview for NJDevils.com, he said, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, my mind has been a lot clearer. Um, I'm a lot more positive about the situation. And he said that he wanted to be with the Devils even during this time of obviously now they're going to a rebuild and trying to help Mackenzie Blackwood develop into that number one, which I think that he is, you know, in a very good position to do so. Um, but I think Corey still has some, you know, some left in the tank. He looks like it. And I think that with this longer pause, I think mentally for him, it will be good because it allowed him to really kind of focus on what needs to, um, to, to change in order for him to get back to being that Corey that we've seen before. So. Yeah, and, I, and I'll say this, Neil, here's his, here are his numbers, his first three years of the Devils. One, nine, seven, nine, two, one, off the charts. Two, two, six, nine, two, five ridiculous that's 69 starts it's an 82 game that's insane numbers 58 games the next year two one five nine two four fourth year two eight two nine oh eight so a little drop off but those four years you could put them up against any goalie in the nhl in the world and four of the best years you could possibly have and like you said the devils had some no disrespect some poor teams those years 
and he's doing it with a bad team in front of him that couldn't right. score and not getting all the wins. Right. And listen, as a goalie, the most important stat is winning. And right. when you don't win and you know it's not your fault, it could be tough mentally. So I just think – I think Corey, with, with, with a little bit of a change of scenery um, and, and just regaining this, this playoff may help, you yeah. know, sitting with your family and thinking about, you know, yeah. how much fun it is and missing the sport, I think he could really make a resurgence. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's going to be tough, obviously, financially for the Devils because he has that big of a contract and – I don't think that they're going to want to feel comfortable with just, um, you know, buying him out. I think that if they are going to move him, they will probably be in some deal. But I think judging from, you know, what I've heard and what interim GM Tom Fitzgerald said, it looks like that they're going to just hold on to Corey, you know, and just let the contract ride. And I think they're going to give him another opportunity to kind of, you know, get back to that form. My, my second to last question to you, Chris, and again, thank you so much for, for coming on today. We, we greatly appreciate it. Um, my second last question to you is this, as a goalie coach, what is your most, I guess I would say like fun or proud story that you have from all of the goalies that you've coached over your, your career? It's a tough question. <laughs> Never been asked that one. Good, good question, Neil. I, I think, I think, uh, taking guys that, um, you don't expect to be really good, I mean, there's obvious kids that have gone on to play Division One and Pro right. and have gotten drafted. And, you know, those are the obvious easy outs of players. Mm -hmm. But the, the best stories for me and the most rewarding are the ones when you have a player that maybe was a Bantam A player or a Bantam right. B player and in two or three years of working hard is playing AAA hockey. Right. Um, or uh, I, had a, I had a kid a few years back, uh, probably going about 15 years ago, um, you know, worked with him really hard, was not a very athletic kid, you know, had to really earn everything he got and, and really worked hard on it. And then, you know, about four years later, I probably hadn't worked with him in a couple of years and he wasn't playing hockey anymore. And he, he wrote a, a letter to his teachers, one of the, you know, a, 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 an essay, and it was about me, Ooh. about the impact I had on him about, you know, had nothing to do with being a goalie, but about being right. a man. Right. about working harder and being accountable to yourself. So those are kind of the anecdotal stories, but that, and that one is true, obviously, but that you get, you hear and you get the feedback from kids that, that maybe not aren't the top guys mm -hmm. or kids that really work hard and put that time in. And even to this day, I have, you know, hundreds of kids that I still train in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and I do work with USA hockey in Florida. So, you know, I'm all over the place. I'm actually getting on a goalie call with USA hockey at three o'clock but when you when you have an opportunity to those types of players and even in, 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 a, in a way like yourself reaching out and you know I, I responded to you probably within I don't know 10 or 15 minutes when you right. responded you're asking if I remembered you of course yeah. I know you'll build piano like you remember guys that, that put in the time and respect yeah. and work and I think that's that's the greatest gift for me that that I that I enjoy the most is hearing back from my my former players and guys that, that really enjoyed the experience they had with me well, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm an example, you know, right here of, you know, somebody that you worked with, you know, when I first started it, you know, again, I started way late when it came to actually learning how to skate, learning how to play the sport, and then learning how to play the position. And I remember when I came to your camp, um, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, Trevor Van Riemsdyk was that was it Trevor Van Riemsdyk? Yeah, I think, yeah, he would bounce in now because we were at Wall, I believe, right? Yeah, we were at Wall, and then we, and then the next two days were, I think, in Tom's River. In that gotcha. way. Yeah, gotcha, so, yeah, because we did a lot of work at Winding River back then, and we did a lot of work at Wall. Right. 
Right, exactly. And I remember, you know, you know, even even my dad had said, you know, from the time you started, you know, day one to the time you finished, it was, you know, like night and day. All of a sudden, you were making saves, you were looking, you know, really good. And you taught me a lot about, you know, the mental, the mental side of it, just focusing on making that next save. And even when I played in high school, it was the same thing. It was remembering the things that you said. And you made a massive impact in my life in the sport of hockey. And you brought that extra love that I had for the position um, when I was there. And so, you know, I really, again, I, I really appreciate that time that I spent working with you. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I, I really appreciate the compliment. You know, that's it's exactly why I do what I do for right. moments like this. And, you know, I really appreciate that. I'm glad I had an impact on you. And uh, hopefully we can uh, now in our adult lives can, can recirculate back together here. Uh, we, we definitely will. No question about it. My, my last question to you, Chris, is this, and I do this with all my guests because I'd like to let them, you know, tell a little bit about themselves. Where can our listeners learn more about you and get to, you know, know some of the things that you are, are involved with more? Yeah, so I've spent a quarter of my life now with the revolution. So um, certainly I'm ingrained there since the start of the program back in, uh, I think it was 08, 09. So um, that's that's a big part of my my life has been with the Philadelphia Revolution, Black Bear Sports, which is a great organization that owns the Youngstown Phantoms, who I I do work with now at the USHL level as a as a vice president uh, of hockey operations, and and with their team Maryland um, uh, North American League team in in Maryland, mm-hmm. uh, and Murray Gunty, who owns that organization, has done a great job building out um, those teams. Actually, they own the rink now that me and you are in. Oh, okay. Uh, they own right. Mercer. They own they own the Wall Sports right. Arena, Jersey Shore Arena now. So, yeah. So so my my day and my life is filled right now with um, of hockey in the in the both the New Jersey market with goalies and in the Philadelphia market with the Revolution, and uh, and I'm looking to to continue to continue that climb. My I have a, a young uh, 2008 birth year player that plays here in New Jersey as well. So. When I'm not uh, traveling with my team, I'm I'm trying to catch catch some of his games. And my daughter's uh, turned four. My oldest daughter turned 14 today. Ooh, so, um, you know, we're we're gonna have uh, a socially distanced uh, three <laughs> or four of her friends over here later today, so that they can they can uh, enjoy each other on the front on the front grass. But yeah, I mean, being a dad and being uh, being a good husband and being part of hockey is is really my 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 life now. And like I said, when they grow up. And, and get a little older, uh, I may, may re-dip my toes back into the pro arena and, uh, and get back to, the, to the, the minor pro or NHL side of it. So we'll see what happens. We shall see. And I'm, I personally hope that happens. I'm excited because I know that you bring a lot of you know, wisdom and a lot of guidance. And I know that there are a lot of players in the sport that would love to hear from you and, and uh, learn from you. Because uh, I can say, you know, for me personally, you've made a significant impact in my life. And you made a significant impact in a lot of people's lives. But Chris, it has been such a pleasure to have you on today, uh, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy you could come on, and we will definitely have you on again, and we will definitely stay in contact, no question about it. Absolutely, buddy. Any, anytime you need to fill up uh, 45 minutes on the podcast, I'm glad to, glad to come in and talk, and you got a new fan here, so I can't wait to listen to future events. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and thank you all for tuning in to this edition of the Mofobo Network podcast. As always, it means a lot to me for you guys to take some time and listen. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to check out more, 
Check out the Mofobo Network podcast on Anchor FM and as well as Spotify. You can check them out. Just search my name, Neil Bell Piano, or just Mofobo Network podcast and you'll find it. Go also check out the Mofobo Network YouTube channel where I have a weekly video. We'll have a video coming up in the next day or two talking more in depth about the NHL playoff format. Um, go check out the Mofobo Network uh, Facebook page where you can keep up to date with all the podcasts and YouTube videos that I do. So you'll never miss another one of those. Um, follow me on Instagram at NVPQB11 and on Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W. And last but certainly not least, go on Amazon and check out my written book, J-E-T-S, Pain, Pain, Pain. The Pain <laughs> and Ecstasy. Now let's forget the ecstasy of being a Jets fan, and I can tell that uh, Chris really enjoys that. But yeah, it's the pain of being a Jets fan. It's on Amazon for both ebook and hardcover for the price of $19.69. And if you're a Jets fan, you know why I chose that number. So if you want to check it out, if you know somebody who's a Jets fan or a football fan or just want to support me, go check it out and always let me know what you think. So That's got to be a good read, and I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that because that, that was good. But uh, for Chris Canale, I'm Neil Villapiano. This has been another edition of the Mofobo Network podcast, and we will see you in the next one. Everyone be safe, wash your hands, and God bless.